following is a production of the Event Safety Alliance. Hello, and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez from Furman University, your humble host for today. I am joined with Steve Edelman, our Hello. Vice President. Hello! <laughs> and today we're going to recap the Event Safety Alliance reopening guide and talk about a little bit about our feedback that we've gotten. Uh, today is May 29th, and I just want to take a minute before we get started with the content of today's pod to realize that this week we hit 100,000 deaths from COVID-19, um, which is a, a solemn moment in the world, and, and 100,000 just in the U.S., to be very clear. And we are also experiencing a great deal of social unrest in cities around the world uh, with a bunch of violence on the street. And I just want to take a minute to address that that's where we are and that's what's going on to recognize that, give it a little bit of import. Yeah, and and the reason that this is important to bring up in this particular context is, you know, we're kind of done talking about the content of the reopening guide. Now we're talking about how it's working in the world, how it's being rolled out. And in order to have that conversation, we have to acknowledge what the world looks like right now. And frankly, there's a lot going on. Um, and so, you know, the, the instinct that we always have is to get attracted to the shiny object of the moment. And obviously, COVID-19 is the shiny object, deservedly so, but it is not the only thing going on. And sometimes the other stuff renders even the most important issue not most important at that moment. So context, context always matters. And uh, Daniela, I completely agree starting by acknowledging where we are as a society, where the world is right now, is the only way to do it. Otherwise, you know, we would be looking at our reopening guide, which is generally a very happy story, ripped from its context. And we don't want to do that. Yeah. So our hearts go out to people who are uh, suffering loss or suffering from strife and injustice. Um, and now we're going to pivot from that. So, Steve, go ahead and tell us a little bit about the stuff you've been doing and some of the reactions you've been getting to our new guide. Um, I think the uh, the official expression is, oh, my God, I'm so tired. Um, <laughs> I, literally, I counted um, last night in anticipation of doing this podcast, and I am giving a webinar a day for each work day. And I know that work days have no meaning anymore, but you know, for every five days in a week, I have given at least one webinar a day since May 11, which is the day that we released the Event Safety Alliance reopening guide, um, which is great. It's gratifying. And you know, one webinar begets an invitation to do another webinar or another podcast or get interviewed for another story. Just before we started recording this, I gave an interview to an NPR station and I am waiting for a TV station to schedule an interview for later today. So the impact of the reopening guide, I mean, frankly, it's beyond our wildest dreams. Um, the number of downloads, I think it is 
realistic to say that there are well above 100,000 copies of the Event Safety Alliance reopening guide floating around the world. Um, and the world really is our oyster in this instance because so far that I know of, we have offers to translate the reopening guide into five foreign languages, and we've accepted those five offers. Thank you very much. It's very generous. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if there were more. And that's just fantastic. You know, we want this guidance to get into people's hands. That's why it's free. Um, but it's, it's just so gratifying to see it really making an impact. And, you know, people say very nice things to me. And I don't think it's just because they want me to give another free webinar. Uh, I think it actually is reaching people. So, first of all, is there a place we could find any of these webinars? Um, we can yes. link in the show notes if some of them are publicly available. Uh, sure. So I, I imagine that they are on the eventsafetyalliance.org uh, website, uh, some of them. Some are on my Edelman Law Group website on the writing and speaking page. There's a plug for me. Um, not all of them, frankly, not every webinar is as much my A game as I would like but certainly the best ones are already linked and I will continue to do that as people send me links. Fabulous. That way, if you out in the listening world want to see what we're talking about, uh, that is where you find it. Yeah, or, or just see us. <laughs> or just see us. Um, <laughs> so to get more specific, what questions are people asking you about the guide? Um, well, because I'm a lawyer, people ask me a lot of legal related questions, you know, they start out with an operational bent to them, but they're always, well, what's the legal implication of something? So the biggest question that people always ask is, well, if we reopen our doors once our governor says that we're allowed to, or, you know, provincial leadership or, you know, whatever municipal official, if we reopen our doors when we're allowed to, and then somebody gets sick by going to our venue and they, they sue us, uh, what result? And happily, I, I can say that the result is you can get sued because you can always get sued. That's just the way our legal system works. Uh, but you'll win. You'll win. And you'll win for a very specific legal reason, uh, which I actually filmed as a special Ask Steve episode because uh, I keep getting some of the same questions and they require they require longer than I can talk about in a webinar. And so I've just started videotaping my own explanations. Um, I forget what the first one was, but the second one was a 40 minute discussion of legal liability if you open your doors. And the happy short answer is, you have virtually no legal liability because proving proximate cause, which is one of the four elements of a tort, will be exceptionally difficult, if not impossible, and should not chill your interest in reopening if you can handle all the operational issues that are actually your job. There are and, other and legal problems, but that's not one of them. That's not one of them. So your, your Ask Steve's, are they also on your website? Uh, they're actually on my, well, yes, they will be on my website. I haven't put them up yet. Um, they're on my YouTube channel already because that's where I have to record them. Um, so if you look up Steve Edelman on YouTube, you can already see two Ask Steve episodes. Um, and they're kind of fun, actually. You know, the, the law can be really dry in the wrong hands, but, well, 
I've got very supple hands. And <laughs> you, you are the wizard of the law. <laughs> oh, yes, I am the wizard. I, I, I'm <laughs> conjuring, <laughs> yes, I'm conjuring up good legal wisdom that, that doesn't hurt a bit. So I get asked a lot about liability. Um, I still get asked questions about force majeure. That's not really something that's particularly relevant right now. Um, I get asked a lot of questions about, is there a right, is there a legal right of people to, uh, to enter a venue if they decline to wear face covering or if they're not compliant with social distancing? That's a question that I got asked a lot, uh, particularly when certain elected officials were talking about there being a liberty interest in, in going to public places. Um, again, just to give a short answer to that, no, no, there's not. Um, there is not a liberty interest in um, flouting the rules of public places. Um, you all know the term, no shirt, no shoes, no service. We know this. Uh, we know that you can't bring your private alcohol to a place that serves alcohol. You can't bring your personal AR-15 assault rifle. Uh, we have lots of rules. We know how to post them and how to enforce them. So adding a rule about face covering, adding a rule about social distancing. Yeah, we know how to do those things. It's really just a question of, do you want to make those things rules or do you want to make them mere guidance, suggestions, um, which implicitly means you're kind of throwing up your hands and saying, I can't enforce this, so I'm not really going to try very hard. Uh, and that's, you know, I don't mean to be dismissive of that. There are certain parts of the country or certain demographics where it's just super difficult to convince them that, you know, it's not just a bad idea for them personally. They're not just making a poor personal decision, but also a decision that affects the health and safety of everyone around them. There are places where people just don't take that seriously. And that's, I don't, I don't mean to make light of that. It's a serious thing. Yeah, it is just another challenge to the never-ending challenges of trying to have people be as safe as possible out in the world. Yeah, and uh, you know, a lot of the time, I spend most of these webinars talking about all the operational instructions and guidance that we give in the reopening guide because it's written for operations people. It's written for industry professionals, us. But I try very hard to always get in at you know, some reference to the importance of patron compliance, patron cooperation, because we can reopen fabulously clean and disinfected venues and have staff and volunteers who are doing everything right. And as soon as the first non-compliant patron walks in the door, it blows up all of our best efforts. So this is, you know, some people complain that, you know, they, they don't like the expression, we're all in this together. They think that, you know, there's, there's some division that's, you know, just unbridgeable. I don't. I think we really are all in this together. And for us professionals in the industry, we definitely have major work to do. And much of it can be done. It's difficult. It's new. It's complicated. It requires attention to detail that we never had to pay attention to before. But at least we're dealing with the realm of things that are difficult but possible. Yeah. There, there's a lot of people who are terrified to go out. And if more people would take on the, the mask 
wearing a mask, keeping six feet apart, it would provide some comfort to those people who are so scared to come out, which helps us with events in a really big way. Because if people aren't comfortable out in the world, they are not going to buy a ticket to a show uh, and come sit in an enclosed space. Our industry would benefit from more people wearing masks and being comfortable with it. Well, and that's, Danielle, that's a great point. And one of the plugs that I have given to the larger event entities, you know, the promoters and producers and the people who only work on bigger events is, hey, while you guys are sitting on the sidelines watching the small mom and pop entities try and get this right, and if they get it right, God willing, then at some point in the future, still before a vaccine, you guys may get to do some kind of events. But, you know, while you're sitting on your hands, maybe try to work on that crowd education piece that we all will benefit from, especially you. Because right now, you know, for example, there are NASCAR races, but they're going on with zero fans in the stands. And, you know, other professional sports are going to start to reopen if they're able to, but again, without fans in in seats. Well, there's a reason for that. And the reason is, there is no reason to believe that large numbers of fans are going to be compliant with social distancing or face covering or you know proper hand sanitizing. That's a problem that has a solution also. So for all these giant entities that aren't actively putting on events right now and therefore have underutilized marketing teams and budgets that aren't being spent on marketing efforts, hey, why don't you pitch in? Why don't you do something to hasten the day that you can put tushies in seats again, because you'll benefit from that too, but in the meantime, you'll help everybody else in our industry. So, you know, the the pitch that I have given, that I'm again giving right now is, while you're waiting, while you're watching everyone else struggle with the problems that you will get to struggle with, hopefully in, in due time, why do you pitch in and help? Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, so there are some events that are starting to take place now. There have been some weddings that have started happening uh, here in South Carolina. High school graduations have been happening very differently than normal. The graduates have been sit- seated on, in Greenville have been seated on the arena floor, six feet apart from each other. Um, no, nobody gets handed anything. You're only allowed to have two people in the stands. The arena seats almost 16,000 people. So that's very, very far apart. And the ceremonies themselves are very short. And even that feels like a, a huge event to suddenly be taking place. And it's a fraction of what they normally were. Um, but it's a way to help those seniors that have had such a rough year. Um, so what other events have, have started happening? I know there's there's talk about uh, political conventions in August are are being discussed for both parties. Um, there's some challenges, I think, with that. That's a lot of people in a very small space. Well, the, the issue of numbers of people in space, frankly, I think is a bit of a straw man. And, you know, I understand why we're reopening with small numbers of people, but it's a bit of a strange reason. And I think it really boils down to, we want to minimize the number of people who would be infected by minimizing the number of people in a space. 
But the logic there is flawed. So the interview I was just giving, a very smart interviewer, and he asked an excellent question, which called for me to give this answer. It doesn't matter how big the space is. You could have an enormous space and open it to a very small number of people. You know, say it's a convention center and you let in only two people. But if those two people do not comply with social distancing and then they breathe on each other, then you have two infected people. It's not just the number of humans in space that matters. It matters what they do. It matters what arrangements are made to help them behave in a manner consistent with not getting infected by a global pandemic. So I had the following conversation yesterday with a very smart person who has a large event, but the large event that she would put on would take place in a very large space. And because of the foreseeable activity of her attendees, there would not be any good reason. There's no reason to think that people would have to be close to each other. They don't. The attraction doesn't require people to bunch up together. Um, there is ample opportunity to create pathways so that everybody's traveling in the same direction as each other, which again, obviates the problem of social distancing. There's really no reason that you couldn't enforce wearing face coverings. It's likely to be a crowd that at least is not completely opposed to compliance with that requirement. There always is ample opportunities for hand sanitizing because that's just the nature of the space. And I said to her, you can reopen, you can. Even though you have a large number of people involved, you have every advantage of your event. You have plenty of space, far more than you need. Therefore, you won't likely have a violation of social distancing. Your attraction does not cause any infraction of that rule. You've got every advantage. And you even have great HVAC, which is a problem for some smaller, older venues. I said, you should be planning to reopen. You're going to be the tip of the spear for larger venues because you can. As so it's reasonable. <laughs> well, well like, there you go, Danielle. It's reasonable. It's always about what's reasonable under one's own circumstances, which allows us to segue to the other event that you just referenced. You know, is it possible to do a major political event in a brick and mortar building? Sure it is. If all of the things that I just said apply to that political event. It doesn't matter that it's a political event. It matters how people behave in space. So if people can maintain social distancing, wearing face coverings and engaging in proper sanitary techniques, great, do it. But if not, don't. And that isn't a function of size because your two person scenario can be dangerous also. It's a function of behavior and if the behavior is not going to conform with the circumstance that is a global pandemic with not enough testing, no contact tracing, and you know a vaccine on the distant horizon, then don't do it because you're going to get people sick or kill them. And that's how you get to 100,000 dead within one country just since we started counting, which probably is an undercount. Wow, are we going to make this upbeat? So um, let, let's go to one of the, the one of the co common questions that we've been getting from the guidance involves 
a little bit of trying to figure out what exactly an infection mitigation coordinator is, who from now on I'm going to call the COVID czar uh, because it's easier for me to say. But the, the COVID czar, <laughs> I, I think, is an excellent nickname. Uh, yeah, infection mitigation coordinator does not roll off of anyone's tongue, with the possible exception of the one physician um, who insisted that that was the best, most accurate name for it. I agree that it's the best, most proper name for it. I just stumble on it. (laughs) Everyone does. Me too. Uh, Infection mitigation coordinator does not, it just doesn't stick in my head. I had to work really hard to learn the term. Uh, So COVID czar. Uh, Yeah, let's go with that. So the the COVID czar um, was actually one of the concepts. It was probably the single concept that got edited most from the beginning idea until the finished product in the reopening guide. And that's not because the original idea was bad. It's that so many contributors realized that it was really important and they had input to share. And our doctor contributors were very actively engaged throughout. So we kept having good ideas and then reality checks from our doctors and then more good ideas about operational issues and you know, we struggled with the name and it went through like four name changes. And that's how you get something as ungainly but accurate as infection mitigation coordinator. But here's the gist. For our event professional friends, you all know the incident command system, ICS. And the infection mitigation coordinator is the top person of the health incident command system. So it's the person who has sufficient medical training and knowledge so that they can speak coherently with the local public health officials who can supervise the creation of a health plan for that event or that venue and who can supervise the creation of training consistent with that health plan so that the infection mitigation coordinator, the COVID czar, doesn't have to be standing outside with thermometers and asking questions that are written on a clipboard. That's not necessary. But whoever does perform that function has to be trained to do it well because it's important. And that's what the COVID czar is supposed to do. You know, in, in my original idea, um, you know, the guy that I hike with is, he's a dental surgeon. He's an endodontist. And we were talking about his staff. And I frankly, my original idea was one of his staff has probably got sufficient medical training to take someone's temperature and ask some follow-up questions. Even though it's someone trained in dentistry, doesn't have to be, you know, a, a surgeon. It has to be someone who is knowledgeable enough to ask questions relevant to the signs and symptoms of COVID-19. And the signs and symptoms are fever, chills, shaking, and they have to be able to speak coherently about those things with the local public health officials because they're allies. They are as, the public health officials in your community, wherever you are, are as invested in the success of your events as you are. Because if your event goes well, then your community looks good and then they look good. And if your event goes belly up, it makes everybody look bad. So uh, I'm a big believer in making friends with public health and public safety officials, uh, you know, during happier times, 
we used to tell about how to make good friends with your fire marshal and your your local you know fire team and that is invite them into your building to do exercises let them see what resources you have and what perilous hazards you haven't noticed and you know feed them and give them stuff stuff to drink and invite them back periodically they'll learn your building they'll tell you things and all of that will pay off not only in knowledge but also in good relationships and better service and they'll like you and you'll like them and you'll make friends and god knows one of the big lessons of the reopening guide is work with your smart friends you know you've got allies use them so yeah. th this is an instance where the you know the covid czar is someone who can help you make friends with people with whom you want good friendships, your public health officials. So there, that's a long answer to a good question. <laughs> uh, you know, relationships are so important in, in life in general. And something that this entire experience has taught me is how much humans depend on relationships with each other, even, you know, waving at your checkout clerk at the grocery store who you see once every couple weeks, um, right now, less than that. But, you know, that, that sort of small relationship that you could grow into something bigger and it could be your local health official or your fire marshal or uh, any, your, your custodian. They're oh great resource. They're um, you, great resources. <laughs> they, they know everything and they know where everything is. Um, and you mentioned uh, ICS. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about that, it's on FEMA.gov. There's a training program there that is free. Um, so you can learn more about that in your copious amounts of free time. Um, so looking forward with the guide... We said right from the beginning that this is not a finished product. Uh, everything is in motion in the world and including with the guide. So what, what are we looking forward to now? Um, you're, you're exactly right. And we expressly said the reopening guide to the, we intended it to be scalable, but to the extent that we had to focus on one size event, we focused on the smaller ones that we're gonna reopen first. And that turns out to be working quite well. But we know that larger events are going to get to reopen sooner, in most cases, rather than later. Um, and so they're going to struggle with their own issues as well as the ones that we've already discussed. So we are teeing up right now um, additional working groups to create guidance regarding how to safely reopen festivals. Um, They've got their work cut out for them. Event security, which not only has to deal with all of the old problems, which were significant and made their jobs very important, but also how to perform their work when you don't want to lay hands on people. And, and now you have opposition to rules or suggestions or guidance that has to be dealt with in a way that doesn't provoke people to like spit on you or touch you or do something else that you know now is very dangerous uh, and we have a group working to create guidance on catering which seems like well why would that be an issue because catering touches nearly every one and every surface in a venue 
and generally they're working close to either each other or to patrons or both. And so the rules of engagement regarding service of food and drink are also going to be dramatically changed from what came before. We're standing up these three groups not only because the time has arrived for them to get the attention that we could not give those subjects in the first edition of the reopening guide, but also now as we start to look farther forward, we're starting to deal with things that frankly can get more expensive. And so as we think about things that are more costly, we should also be considering what changes will be permanent, will outlast even the vaccine that we'll eventually, God willing, have versus what things are going to be temporary that will only be significant considerations while we don't have a vaccine. Because that distinction is going to matter. It's going to matter for everyone's decision making. And again, you know, your duty of care is to behave reasonably under your circumstances. For COVID-19, we all hope and pray that the circumstances are that this doesn't last all that long. But I think, you know, listening to the, the scientists who are actually you know, working round the clock to deal with COVID-19, they're telling us it's going to be like a year. Okay, we've got to get things reopened before then. We know that. So for things that are necessary only for the year, plus or minus however much, until there's a vaccine, we probably want to spend less money because that's a Band-Aid. For things that will be permanent changes, we want to think through all that. Yeah, yeah some of the innovations, frankly, are fabulous at let me tell you one that has nothing to do with show business that I, I particularly love. No contact delivery. I think this is the best thing ever. You mean I don't have to awkwardly wrestle with my dog when the pizza man comes to the door? Thank you. Leave it on the table. I've already paid. There's nothing to do. This right. is the best. <clears throat> and incorporating that sort of thing in concessions and tickets, and I, I think there's all sorts of room for efficiency and improve customer service, which has always been our goal anyway. We want people to come to an event and have a good experience. But yeah, some things, you know, I, I don't want to be wearing a mask in 10 years. No. And, you know, I say that too quickly. We know that there are societies where people have worn masks routinely in public for years. Yes. So, you know, we say this, you know, no, I certainly don't want to wear a mask in 10 years as Americans, because that's not our thing, but. That's uh, true. Maybe I do. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll get to the point where it is not just culturally acceptable, but it feels appropriate. You know, for us, it's still new. So I don't know. Well, Good point. And, and, and the context really does matter. You know, there's, there's a reason I keep harping on the duty to behave reasonably under one's own circumstances. Because the context changes things. You know, think back to, you know, the, the broad societal reluctance after 9-11 to things that we now take for granted. You know, now when you go to some public event, you know, being wanted, opening your bag for inspection, we take that for granted. In fact, in many contexts, when we don't see that, now we, we worry. Wonder, right, we worry. Where's the security? How come security sucks at this place? It wasn't that long ago that we saw those things that, whoa, what's going, why, why do we need this? What, what safety issue are they trying to protect us from? Right, they've gotten a threat. Now it's normal. Expected. Expected, yeah. desired. So I do well, think- Well, I have some really cool Star Wars masks, so <laughs> I'm just saying. 
Um, so here's an innovation that I heard about yesterday from a gentleman who runs a performing arts space in Stamford, Connecticut. Um, so shout out to you know, my, my former region. He was talking about programs, paper programs. They're not going to have paper programs anymore. And I said, well, that makes perfect sense because you don't want things that get touched to transmit germs. And he said, yeah, but hear me out because I think there's actually something positive that's going to come from that. He said, we're going to get people's contact information and that'll be good for our subscriptions. And I said, don't you already have that? You know, don't people ordinarily buy tickets online now? And he said, yeah, but think about how that really works. Most of the time, people buy tickets for themselves and their group, which means the contact information that we have is only one person's contact information, the purchaser. Well, when programs are all electronic and you have to download them, then we capture everyone's contact information. And we're not going to spam them. It's just a way for us to broaden the list of people who are interested in what we put on because they're here. So now we can reach each and every one of them rather than only one out of two or one out of four. And that's just a positive change. That that's, is a positive. And yeah. it, it solves that a lot of times you give out programs and they're, they're highly sought after on the way in, but on the way out, I'm picking them up off the auditorium floor. Or if you go to like some of the touring Broadway shows, they give you a little handbill. They collect them at the end if you don't want to take them. So they're reusing them, which is absolutely appropriate. But as a vector of germs right now, that is not appropriate. So yeah, that's a, that's a great, great opportunity. Yeah. And, and I, I frame it with a comment that I initially thought was funny. And now I actually think is serious and true. Um, which is, this is the time for liberal arts majors. You know, this is our moment. And mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think I, as I have told this story, I realize how much of a chip on my shoulder I've always had about my friends who, you know, graduate with engineering degrees or, you know, accounting or something. Dude, you're a lawyer. That's nothing I, to sneeze at. <laughs> I understand. But I certainly did not travel a straight and narrow path to get there. I was an American studies major. So... You know, for all of us arts and humanities people who, you know, when we graduated from whatever school we graduated from and, you know, looked longingly at our friends who got good paying jobs and seemed to have career direction, they're used to coloring. <laughs> well, so you understand this. Yes. So, you know, there are people who are really good at coloring inside the lines. And then there is us, you know, we creative types. COVID-19 is a time for creativity, for problem solving, you know, especially for the venues and, and events that are reopening now. There's, there isn't the money, there aren't the resources to just buy your way through this. We're going to have to MacGyver solutions to a lot of problems. This is the time for, you know, thinking so far outside the box. It's even talking about the box is not relevant. I love the idea that this gentleman from Stanford came up with because it's creating not only a solution, but an improvement. Right. That's an improvement that's going to last. It's like contact-free delivery. It's like <laughs> like contact-free delivery. There are going to be, I think, a lot of positive changes even from this terrible, terrible situation that absolutely none of us wanted, 
if we think creatively, if we don't cling to what we did before, because before is gone. Before is gone. Right now, we're in an interim period. We don't know how long it's going to last, but it's going to last for a while. And then we're going to have a vaccine. But the post-vaccine world will look like however we want it to look. We may as well make it better than what came you know, before the first week of March. And I think that there are some respects in which we can. I love this. This is a hopeful note right this, here. We this, found our hopeful note. We did. So you out there listening to us with our hopeful note, if you have anything you want to share or suggest, please send us an email at info at eventsafetyalliance.org. Um, we will have, actually, I want to bring Jacob onto this call. Jacob, go ahead and unmute yourself. I want you to give us a shout out to our sister podcast that released this week. Dragging me from behind the curtain. I am. Well, I will say that the Event Safety Alliance is thrilled to announce we have launched a new podcast called Lessons Learned. Uh, this podcast features ESA founder and president Jim Digby. While they have conversations with leaders from all sectors of the industry discussing what they are learning in this post COVID time period with the goal of uh, helping everyone reopen safely and find our today <laughs> to find out what the future will hold. And I'm going to totally edit that. So just you're don't worry. Yes, you're going to fix that. <laughs> yeah, help guide our actions for the future. Awesome. And, and he's muted himself again, folks. All right. Thank you, Jacob. Um, so I hope you are all out there taking care of yourself and those around you. Um, please take care of yourself, not just physically, but mentally. It's a little bit wearing now and again. Um, shout out to us if you need us. Find us on social media. And be safe, everybody. 